Amen. Amen. Haven't you enjoyed the music today? It's been good from congregational singing. I'm so grateful that our music here at Fostoria Baptist Church is alive. It doesn't have to be the world's music for you and I to get something out of it. it doesn't have to move our flesh and move our foot before it moves our heart. Amen. And so it's true, boy, that's a blessing. I, uh, that offertory, Be Thou My Vision, I, whenever I hear that song, or we have sung it before here, and I, uh, first thing I think about are the martyrs uh, who went to the stake and were persecuted, and so many of them, in those moments of death, they had a vision of heaven. We think of Stephen. Yeah, they're throwing and chucking stones at him, and what does he do? He looks up and he sees into heaven. The Bible says he sees the glory of God, and there Jesus standing in the right hand of God. And uh, I can't help, but can I tell you, think of this, be thou my vision. God does not want to be on the peripheral vision of Christians. He wants to be the vision of Christians. Be thou my vision. And that then flows into our, our special music there that we would be humble. I love that. Humble branches abiding in him, producing fruit. And honestly, this is what our study in James is all about. And so appreciate that. Ties in so well as do the congregational. It's just been fantastic today. All right, James chapter 4. Here we are. James chapter 4. And boy, we're going to cover like four verses tonight. Yeah, hopefully. Okay. And we're going to get through a bunch, finish up verse 6, move on 7 and so forth, 8, 9, 10, hopefully. And uh, kind of get to where we kind of bring this part to a conclusion, but it's such a great study on humility and God giving more grace. And uh, if you remember, just real quick, let me throw this at you. You remember God giveth more grace. We've seen the areas God gives salvation or grace that brings salvation, the grace that flows and sanctification. That's becoming more like Christ, holy, pure as he is. Be thou perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. That mentality, that thought, the grace that dispenses strength uh, to fight sin, to to live this life, to not be weary and well-doing. And then the grace that offers endless supply and then we're not review but we talked about those influences of grace how they appear and the fruit they produce in our lives and then last week we just had a short time to talk and after the, the preach after observing the communion the lord's supper we talked about this the hindrances to flow grace and here it is in, in in verse number six wherefore he saith god resisteth the proud and there it is pride and we talked about pride being a grace repellent it repels grace in our lives much like a mosquito repellent or anything else boy you have pride you're going to repel god's flow of grace in your life and and it's true throughout scriptures if you depend only on yourself you will miss out on the grace that flows when we look to and we depend upon god and then we looked at just this first point that we'll get into the ones that flow god desires humility while the devil encourages pride uh, these first few verses we've talked about, it talks about self and the world and the devil, our primary three enemies. And boy, the devil, he doesn't want us to embrace Romans seven eighteen. For I know that in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, that in me, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Uh, he doesn't want us to, uh, really, honestly, he doesn't want us to embrace that. You, As we did, we looked at First Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, the first part. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. And so we understood that, we brought it to play. Now I want you to see this truth, okay? Let's add on that. God desires humility while the devil encourages pride. Then number two, note it, number two, humility unlocks the free flow of grace while pride turns the flow off 
Now, we're going to see this play out practically. And so keep your spot here. We're going to turn to several passages. Turn with me to Daniel, the book of Daniel. Let's go to the Old Testament. And we're going to look here for an example to begin with. Daniel chapter 4, Ezekiel, Daniel, Daniel chapter 4. And uh, we'll give you some time to find it, as I do too. Daniel chapter number 4, we are introduced to Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, Daniel had many dealings with him. And, and uh, here, uh, what's going to happen in the life of Nebuchadnezzar, is God is going to get hold of him. We're going to look at the end of chapter 4. Look at verse 28 with me, if you will. 28 down through verse 37. I think there's a statement that we're going to kind of uh, focus on tonight that deals with pride, humility, and unlocking that grace. Look with me, verse 28. All this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. So we're about to get a little description of a period in his life. At the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. He's looking around. He's surveying this great palace that he lives in. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? Boy, if you find somebody that uses that many I and that many my's in one sentence, get away. (laughs) That's a whole lot of pride. It's a whole lot of self-focus, even as we talked about a little bit about this morning, right? Now notice in verse 31, while the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, Nebuchadnezzar, or excuse me, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. The very thing he took glory in. And they shall drive thee for men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. And he was driven from men, and did eat grass as oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagles' feathers, and his nails like birds' claws. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, so it turns to first person. He's speaking himself, lifted up mine eyes into heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. And here it is, understanding returned unto me as a human, what we believe turned into a beast. He comes back, his mind is restored to him, but notice, his understanding didn't just come back to him as a human his understanding came back to him to say wait a second i'm not all that i thought i was and god is in control notice it turned unto me and i blessed the most high wait a second a few verses earlier (laughs) he was blessing himself my majesty my palace my kingdom I bless the Most High, and I praise and honor Him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And He doeth according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say unto Him, What doest thou? At the same time, my reason returned unto me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and brightness returned unto me. And my counselors and my lords sought unto me. And I was established in my kingdom. And excellent majesty was added unto me. Now notice, he doesn't stop there. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of Babylon. No, the king of heaven. All whose works are truth in his ways, judgment. And those that walk in pride, he is able to a base man what a great story doesn't stop look at chapter 5 look with me at just one verse verse 20 and i think this is the best commentary daniel is speaking to the next king he's kind of reminding him what transpired he says this but when his heart was lifted up he's speaking of nebuchadnezzar 
When his heart was lifted up, and notice this next statement. You want to know what pride does to you? Notice it. And his mind hardened in pride. Hmm. That's quite the statement. And his mind hardened in pride. He was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Now, stop there a second. I want you to think about this. Often we'll say that someone has a hard heart, and and that is appropriate. No doubt plays in. But here in pride, notice that his heart is lifted up. He is self-exalted, self-glorifying, and he thinks something of himself. He thinks he's the, the greatest thing since sliced bread. It is fantastic. He is everything, okay? Now notice it, though. It says his mind was hardened. Well, what does that mean? Well, you think about it. Think of the word repent. In its basic understanding, the word repent means to change one's mind. So repentance, as I, as I come to repentance, and yes, in salvation, but also in sanctification, when, when God is getting out the roots of sin and, and trying to bring me into the likeness of Jesus Christ, you know what happens sometimes? In my pride, my mind is hardened to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. There's been many a person that's come to me and say, Pastor, I, I don't understand how someone can sit in the pews and maybe they're speaking of someone specifically or they're speaking of someone generally. How can they sit in the pews and not respond to God's word as it is taught, as it is preached? Can I tell you one of the reasons they do that? Their mind is hardened in pride. God is calling them to repentance. But oh, that root of pride, that sin of pride is present and it has hardened their mind so that the convicting power of the Holy Spirit cannot and does not penetrate. They refuse in their own willful pride to respond. It plays out in another place here in the Old Testament that's fantastic. You and I both are well familiar with King Manasseh. Manasseh did some bad things. In fact, uh, from the beginning of his reign in Judah, he really stunk it up. In fact, let's turn there. We have time. Second Chronicles chapter 33. Second Chronicles chapter 33. We've preached messages on Manasseh. We've also used him before and as an example because he is a great example in one way of what not to do. But I want you to see some humility that he even shows in his life. Second Chronicles chapter 33. Second Chronicles chapter 33, we're going to pick up in verses 9 and 10. That's the best summarization. We certainly don't have time to read the whole passage. So let's come down to verse 9. And God pretty much summarizes it. He's allowing bad sacrifices. He's even allowing his own children to pass through the fire. But verse 9, so Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err. Second Chronicles 33 verse 9. And to do worse, now this is quite something, isn't it? And to do worse than the heathen whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people, notice it, but they would not hearken, they would not hear. Their mind, again, was hardened by their own self-exaltation, their pride. Uh, They would not be humbled before God. And someone who refuses to be humbled before God, can I tell you, does not hear the voice of God. The Holy Spirit and His conviction does not reach that mind and that heart because their mind is hardened to God. Pride is a powerful thing in the life of any person. Whether someone who needs to come to trust Christ or a Christian who may be saved and headed for heaven but is living their own way. Not humble, but proud. 
prideful. Here he is. He has many failures in leading the, uh, the nation. Um, it's brought on by his refusal to humbly submit, to hearken, as that verse puts it, to God and his instructions. And so what does God do? He removes his protecting grace. Remember, the whole point is this. Humility unlocks the free flow of grace, while a pride, that hardened mind, the uplifted heart, turn the flow of grace off. Now look at it, the next verse, the very next verse, verse 11. Wherefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with feathers and carried him to Babylon. <laughs> Things have changed. God has allowed in that grace, the removal of grace, he literally reaps what he has sowed. Now verse 12 Shows us a completely different Manasseh. Look at verse 12. And when he was in affliction, when God had brought things into his life to humble him, he besought the Lord his God. That's interesting. God still says he's mine. And humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed unto him and he was entreated of him and heard his supplication. Hey, now listen, even the choir sang the, the song tonight, Seeking. Now can I tell you, seeking after God, in fact, you may have noticed the front of the bulletin matches the song the choir sang. Isn't that nifty? Okay. But, but can I tell you, hey, seeking after God and finding God necessitates humility. Because humility, if I seek for something, that means I need something. Have you ever just went looking for your keys because you didn't need them? <laughs> No, you go looking for your keys because you misplace them often, uh, if you're me. And, uh, and you need to find them because you need to get in the car. You need to get down the road. You need to go somewhere. You seek something you have a need for. You know, even in that moment, you become humbly submitted to those keys. It's crazy that a handful of keys controls your life that way, huh? I'm not bitter, but I promise. <laughs> But you're literally submitting. To, I mean, you really are. You're humbly submitting. So, so understanding, if we're going to seek after God, as even Manasseh does here, it really necessitates humility. Insane. I have a need. And for any of us to say we have a need, that takes humility. We don't want to be someone who's in need. You, you and I both hurt people. I, I don't take charity. You know what they're saying is, I'm too pride, proudful. <laughs> I'm too prideful. I'm too proud to take something. <laughs> That's really what it means. Because what? Uh, they haven't acknowledged and humbled themselves under their need. Here he is. He has. I <laughs> uh, like the rest of it. Brought him again to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord, he was God. There's a change of heart. There's a change of mind. There's a change of attitude. That hardened mind was broken through. He, he, the Bible says he humbled himself. So under the affliction of what had happened and transpired in his life that God brought. And can I tell you, you and I sometimes, uh, often maybe, have trials and things come up in our life because God is trying to break our pride. He is trying to tear down our self-dependence. Hey, I, I'm a believer. Isn't that enough? No, <laughs> it isn't. Because your Lord wants you to have him as all of your vision. Totally dependent on him. And so he'll bring things in our life to keep us humble. 
to keep us depending on him, to bring us to this point, even as Manasseh, uh, verses 14 and following, he goes back, he, he takes down, tears down some strange gods. Verse 15, he repairs things. He, he casts a strange god down of the city. Um, he commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Verse 16, it's great things. Look down to verse 19. Notice this statement. His prayer also and how God was entreated of him and in all his sins and his trespass and the places wherein he built high places and he set up groves and graven images. Notice this. Before he was humbled. Here's Manasseh. He's a great case study in understanding before no grace in his life. God brought the Assyrians, allowed the Assyrians to come in. He was carried away captive to Jerusalem. And then he humbled himself. And what happens? He goes from no grace to grace freely flowing because he humbled himself before God. And God responded to it as he promised he would. Notice the statement. Here's a very simple truth we get from it. A prideful, hard-hearted response, and you can say hard-minded, response to God and his word hinders the flow of God's grace. A humble, submissive response pleases the flow of the blessing uh, of uh, the flow of the blessings of grace. It releases it, the flow of the blessings of grace. It's a powerful truth. Manasseh's grandson learned it well. You know him, Josiah. Turn over to Second Chronicles chapter thirty-four. Look at verse twenty-six. Verse twenty-six. Just one chapter over. And as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, so shall you say unto him. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which thou hast heard. Verse 27. He's speaking to uh, here Josiah. He's saying this. Because thine heart, notice these statements, was tender. Hmm, not hard-hearted. Not uplifted. A tender heart. Thou hast humbled thyself before God. And thou heardest uh, his words against this place and against the inhabitants thereof. And humblest thyself before me. And didst rend thy clothes and weep before me. I have even heard thee also, saith the Lord. Behold, I will gather thee to thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered to thy grave in peace. What a promise. It is, it is a promise that it releases the flow of the blessing of grace. God's grace of protection, God's grace of provision, His grace that exalts a person flows into the life of a humble person. So if I want God's grace, as he said, he giveth more grace, I've got to come face to face with the realization that if I'm going to be prideful, it's not going to flow into my life. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5. You remember the context. We read it a moment ago. We're to be clothed with grace. The context is the local church. He's speaking to the membership. He's speaking to the leadership, the body of Christ. He instructs us that when humble submission to one another is present, because remember, it said, be subject one to another. Now, that's an interesting statement. Be subject one to another. Uh, then he goes on, be clothed with humility. So in this context, you know what Peter does? Listen carefully. He connects humility and subjection to one another within humble submission to God. And he says that's when in a local called out assembly that grace flows. And I don't know about you, but I sure do want Fostoria Baptist Church to have a whole lot of grace. I want to flow in this place. The grace that brings people to salvation, the grace that helps you and I as, as believers to grow in Christ, I want that grace to flow. And you know what it takes? Every member of Fostoria Baptist Church humbly submitted to God and submitting to one another. Be subject one to another. Not ruling over, not a pastor or members ruling over others, but in grace, 
uh, in submission and humility, receiving the grace. Notice it, number three, quickly. Not only does humility unlock the free flow of grace, but in pride turns it off. But number three, notice this. Submission communicates, submission communicates humility. Thereby unlocking the grace needed to resist the devil. And you see it back here in James. The obvious context here is verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Okay, verse 7 back here in James chapter 4. Verse 10, if you jump ahead, look at verse 10. It's not much different, but it's kind of, we'll see it in a moment, kind of summary in its application. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Now listen, submission communicates humility. So when I submit, it's communicating something. It's communicating humility. Let me give you a a silly example if we might do this. When I was growing up, parents had a rule, and we certainly try to enforce it in our house, but it's this. At every meal, you will clean your plate. You have a rule like that? And many kids, you know, and kids look at that rule like, oh, I have to clean my plate, you know. Sometimes us dads maybe put too much on the plate, and, and so there's grace needed sometimes. But anyway... Clean your plate. Hey, hey, here's the plate. We're going to give you what you need, and, and it'll have vegetables, and it'll have protein and all the things that you need and so forth, maybe some things you like too. And so we're going to fill the plate. So clean your plate. Many of the kids here probably have that rule. They hate it maybe and don't like it. But, hey, that is a great rule. Can I tell you? I'm amazed at how much food gets thrown away at even uh, the activities and uh, the fellowships that we here have here at Fostoria Baptist Church. You know, I think it's a great rule that you don't take more than you can eat. I, I mean, I'm not trying to, forgive me, I'm not trying to make a point here. The fact is simple. I, I think that's a good truth, isn't it? I mean, you have not, you waste not. Amen? And so I think that's a good truth. And I think that's ways we teach that. And, and you, we teach our children. And we as adults can even take that into heart too sometimes, right? And so cleaning your plate. Now think about this. this it, it sounds trivial. If you as a parent have a rule that you need to clean your plate at a meal. It sounds trivial. But can I tell you that is really not a trivial truth. It actually is and falls under the principle of where God says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now, that statement and everything you as a parent make as a rule or an instruction in your home, can I tell you that this is the fact? That that is a teaching moment of submission. That child has to sit down at the table and though their flesh says broccoli, yuck, Their heart and mind have to say, okay, mom and dad said eat the food. And I may not like it the first five, eight times, (laughs) but I'm going to eat it. And they have humbly submitted themselves to mom and dad. Now, that seems so trivial. It seems like such a, a little thing that's not that important. But can I tell you, in that instance, you are teaching them to submit to the authority over them. I'd like to put it this way. It's a process. You are helping them practice humbling themselves under authority. And and here's the kicker. Do you realize, mom and dad, do you realize that every interaction with your authority that your child has is a dress rehearsal for his interaction with God's authority? I mean, every time you... Yeah, you sit down. Wait a minute, wait, Pastor Henry, you're saying eating broccoli is spiritual? Well, yes, in a way. 
I'm saying if mom and dad have a rule and a child is trained, because it is training, isn't it? Train up a child in the way he should go. So it requires training. So at the dinner table, at the lunch table, at other times, I'm training the children. You and I are training our children to humbly submit, to get rid of the pride that is rooted in their heart. Hey, the heart is desperately wicked. We know that. We saw it, this, we saw it <laughs> what the devil doesn't like. In this flesh dwelleth no good thing. So in that moment, it's a training session for the more important need for each one of us to submit and humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. See, if your child comes and learns at an early age, okay, mom and dad are an authority that God has placed in my life, and I must humble myself under the mighty hand of mom and dad. In this home, that's how God has established a hierarchy. And so I'm going to humble myself in this place. Well, praise be to God, as they learn that, then they can transfer it over here to spiritual things. God is my authority. I'm going to humble myself under the mighty hand of God. I'm going to submit myself. Now listen. Now let's, let's take some application from it. Here's the truth. If your commands and instructions are negotiable and optional, then they will view God's instructions and commands the very same way. Hey, Mom, I'll eat my corn tomorrow if I don't have to eat my broccoli. Okay, honey. What have you just done? An instruction that you've given is now negotiable. You can negotiate. And so what do we often see Christians do? Well, God, if you'll let me do this, then I'll do this. Hey, my friend, God is not an authority to be negotiated with. God is an authority to be obeyed, humbly submitted to. It's not an archaic thought. It's a biblical truth. And so, friends, we are training and we are teaching. And I don't know about you, but every single one of my children, I want God's grace to flow in their lives. So I want them to have a heart of submission and humility before God. I want to demonstrate it as I teach it and train it. Put it this way. As much as pride is a grace repellent, as we talked about before, humble submission is a grace attractant. That is a word, by the way. Okay? Humility, humble subjection is a great attractant of grace. So what do we want to do? Well, we want to learn and teach our own children biblical submission to authority. It starts at home. It continues in the school classroom. It flows into the church. It carries over into the world with employers and policemen and officers of the state. That's literally literally what James is saying here. You see that word in verse 7. He says, submit. It is a military term to come under authority, to come under proper rank. Because I'll tell you this, in God's army, when the private acts like a general, there's going to be problems. When the private acts like a general, in God's army, we're going to have troubles. When we fail to submit to God, as verse 7 calls it to be, we're in for some rough waters ahead. Why? Simply this, and this kind of segues into our next point, because humble submission comes to play in the areas of our lives where we need grace to flow. So why we're training our children in biblical humility, biblical submission to God, and we ourselves are practicing, it's because throughout life it is going to be necessary, it is going to be needed. 
I want you to think about it for the moment in the light of the rest of this verse, verse 7. He says, submit yourselves therefore to God, and he brings in one of our great enemies. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So think of it, the devil, he's against you and he wants to keep you from victory. He will do it by direct attack, he will do it by sneak attack, and he will do it by subtle attacks. He wants to keep you from victory. He'll do it in every area of your life that you need grace. So think of it this way. Here's the areas that demand humble submission. And they will sound eerily familiar. You know the first area that we need humble submission is in salvation. Notice these verse, for sake of time, listen carefully, you can turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Now notice this, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Who has blinded the unbeliever? The God of this world. Satan. And he is trying his hardest to keep people from seeing the gospel in humbling themselves before Almighty God. Hey, another verse, you see it there, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2. He's talking to Christians. Notice it. Where in times past ye walked according to the course of this world. Notice this. According to the prince of the power of this air. Who is that? Satan, the devil. In other words, he's saying you've, you lived a life that was submitting to him. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Hey, the devil is active in the area of salvation to keep people from humbly submitting to God. The Holy Spirit comes knocking. The Holy Spirit draws us to Christ. And then through conviction, we come to Christ in humble submission. Have you ever thought about how many areas and ways in which a person must humble themselves in salvation? Number one, we must acknowledge that God has created us. And since He has created us, we are accountable and responsible to Him. There's a whole lot of people in pride who refuse to acknowledge that. God didn't create me. I, I, no, I came from apes. <laughs> I came from ooze. That takes away all personal responsibility and accountability to a greater power. To a what? An authority. So there's no humble submission there. You know what else we have to acknowledge? Not only that truth, but we have to acknowledge that I am not a good person. That I am a sinful person. That to my core, I am depraved. That I'm not a righteous person. That I am filthy and desperately wicked. Hey, you remember how that slapped you in the face? Well, more importantly, it slapped your pride in the face. <laughs> I'm a sinner and I deserve hell. That takes a lot of humility. Humble subjection to the truth of God and to God himself. You know what else we acknowledge? Now notice this, because this, think of it in context of us men. We never like to acknowledge we can't open a, a jar of pickles or something, right? I can get this, you know, popping out veins and everything else. We never want to admit we're weak. But you know, in salvation, what we have to do is admit that I am so weak that I cannot get to heaven. I, I can't do it. I am total, I am the epitome of weakness spiritually. To gain heaven, to do anything to count, and to pay for my sins personally. I cannot affect my eternity. I cannot gain heaven outside of Christ. And then you know what else we have to humbly acknowledge and submit to? I acknowledge that I am wholly, completely dependent upon Christ. <laughs> he alone is the way to heaven. 
Man, can I tell you, the devil, every single one of those steps fights people. I'm amazed when a person can sit here, and we've had several of them who are unsaved, and they can sit through what I believe to be a clear presentation of the gospel. What I think is nothing more than scriptures expressed, explained, presented in such a way that even a child can come to understand, and the Holy Spirit can take it and convict and press upon their hearts, and they sit there and they don't move. You know why? It's pride. And the devil is there fanning the flames of pride. Ah, don't submit to that. That's not true. No, you're a good person. And oh, how you and I have done our best to witness to people. I think I'm a pretty good person. I think God's going to let me in. Because I've done pretty good things. Man, the devil is good at his job, isn't he? He likes to play in our pride when we come in that humble submission and faith at salvation that is when that is when when humbly submit to the truth of god's word and we submit to who he is and, and who we are that is when we get the victory over sin we get the victory over death and praise be to god we get the victory over the devil in salvation hey this is a good one look uh well uh, let me read this for you for sake of time luke twenty two thirty two. 32 Christ is coming to the end. He's instructing his, um, the believers. Uh, they're the disciples. And he says this. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Notice it. Behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. You know what the Lord's saying? He's saying the devil, uh, Peter, is going to come after you doggedly. He's going to be nipping at your heels spiritually. He may have lost Peter's soul, but in verse 34, you remember what Peter says? Hey, 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 Lord. I'll follow you to prison and even unto death. And that pride, and at that moment, the devil's saying, oh yeah, I'm coming. And what's interesting, not very long after that, what happens? There's Peter, though he pulled a sword and cut somebody's ear off. Terrible aim. Uh, He's running from the garden. He flees like all the other disciples and leaves Christ alone. Then he what? Denies Christ three times. Three times. The devil's coming, man. You're lifted up in pride. You're exalted. And and can I tell you what also I see in this verse? Peter's mind was hardened by pride. Christ tried to express to him, whoa, whoa, whoa. Everybody's going to forsake me in other gospels. It says that. Now listen to me. Here's what Christ himself said in verse 33. But I, I love this, but I have prayed for thee. Hey, aren't you thankful tonight you have a high priest in heaven? But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now listen, don't, don't get caught up with the word converted. At a time, we'd take you straight to the Greek. And it, that word is translated majority of the times in the New Testament, turned. It literally means to turn back. So... Christ was saying, when you, when you come back spiritually to your senses like Nebuchadnezzar, and you come to realize, and you humble yourself and submit to God, I sure am praying that you're going to be a source of strength for your brothers and sisters. And boy, don't we know that happened with Peter? God used him at Pentecost, and many times after that in the lives of many people. That was Christ's prayer and desire. He... 
He wants to give us grace to gain the victory in our sanctification, being coming like Christ, being used of Him, our growth into the likeness of Christ. But what does Satan want to do? Satan wants to steal that grace through our own pride. And so he's going to fan the flames, friend. He will. Peter gives us a great example. Quickly, I'm just flying through these so we can make some progress. No, strength. You're starting to see, maybe. It's catching on. Wait a minute. We've talked about God giving grace for these areas. Well, that's exactly where the devil wants us to show pride. To prevent the grace from flowing in these areas. Have you ever thought about how the devil wants you weary in well-doing? Man, that's, he wants that. He desires that. Man, he wants you weary and well-doing. Look at the beginning of verse 8. Why? Well, he knows if you draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. He knows that. So he doesn't want you doing that. He wants to steal your strength for living this life to God's glory. He wants you as a Christian to be discouraged. He wants you to be tired. He wants you to be depressed. He wants you to accomplish nothing for God. Because when a Christian acts and feels defeated in life... The devil wins a victory. When life gets you so down, and instead of drawing nigh to God in humble submission, we just kind of throw up in our arms and we say, it is what it is, what can a man do? I'll tell you what a man can do. He can draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. But the devil doesn't want you thinking that. The devil wants you thinking you're all alone. In pride that you have to face the world, that in pride you'll make it through somehow, some way in your strength. And boy, when you and I act defeat in life, it happens because a Christian fails to humbly submit to God, to God's plan, God's ways, God's commands through the entirety of one's life. And unfortunately, when a Christian is discouraged and lacking strength, that's when the devil seizes the opportunity to pounce, attempting to convince a believer that God is not worth drawing nigh to. He's not going to help you. You don't really need to read your Bible. That's not going to help you. You just, that's not going to do you any good. You don't need to go to church. You're having a tough, hey, just stay home and rest. Watch football. Just do something else. That's not going to help you. That's exactly, when you and I are discouraged, can I tell you, when you and I are discouraged and we're down and we're weary and well-doing, the place you need is God's Word and the place you need to be is God's house. That's what you need. But the devil's going to say, ah, you don't need that. Because I don't know about you, there's been a whole lot of days in my life where I've opened God's Word and I've submitted to Him on a difficult time, discouraged and, and trodden, weary, and that's when the grace began to flow in my life. When I submitted here and came, and, or when I came to church, and maybe a, uh, through a fellow believer and a, a handshake and an encouraging word, the grace was able to flow into my life. But he's trying to convince us not to draw close to him, that it's not worth, that God is not worth drawing close to, that it will not help. Verse 7, notice it, don't misread it. He's not saying you and your own strength and power resist the devil and that he's going to be scared or afraid of us. Can I tell you that just isn't going to happen? In and of ourselves, in our own power and strength, that is not going to happen. It requires you and I, now listen to me, it requires you and I to submit to God, to draw nigh to him. Okay, silly illustration. I'm going to pick up Brother Mark. Would you come on up here, please? Por favor, come on up. Hey, Brother Aaron, welcome to Fostoria Baptist Church. Come on up. Okay, come on. Mark, would you just stand right here, face this way? Brother Aaron, over here. 
Don't look at me that way. It's not going to be that bad. Okay. I'm a little scared of him right now. I'm going to turn my back on you for a second. Okay. Uh, you're the newbie. You haven't earned your rank, so you're going to be the devil. Okay. Uh, yeah. You get to be God, okay? So this is nice, okay? So, okay, this is God. This is the devil, okay? So the devil's coming at me. He's throwing temptation and trials at me, okay? Every day, this is our enemy, okay? That face and everything, okay? Anyway, uh, let's break him in, okay? So this is our enemy, right? And so in our own strength, we think that we can resist the devil. Now listen, to this. this is a silly illustration, but I think it's a great picture of what we're supposed to do on a daily basis. I could stand here and go toe-to-toe and face-to-face with him. And all the devil knows is all he has to do is defeat me. But can I tell you, the Bible is telling you and I, when we in humble submission to God, it changes everything. Now here's a good thing. When I humbly submit to God, guess who the devil's going face-to-face with? It's not me anymore. Praise be to God, it's someone much bigger. You're supposed to laugh. That's insulting to me. Much stronger. Someone much bigger, much stronger than me gets to take on the devil. And I'll tell you, history has proven and the future will back it up. Every battle that devil takes against the Lord, he loses. My friend, when you and I take ourselves out of this... And we humbly submit before God. Praise be to God. He fights the battle. The battle is the Lord's. Draw nigh to God. Thank you guys. I appreciate it. Draw nigh to God. Man, what a great truth. What a great challenge for you and I to say, okay, that's it. Hey, one last thing and we're done. I apologize. I'll just take about five more minutes. You know what the last area is? That's sin. Sin. Verse 8 and 9, notice it. Draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Boy, I like how he brings in double-minded. Verse 9, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. You know, we've already seen and deciphered that this passage is about letting sin in our lives as Christians. We get sidetracked. That's what it is from verse 1 onward. From self and the world and the devil, we get sidetracked. And so the devil loves that. He dangles some sin in front of us for sure. One of the great needs for humble submission in the life of a believer is in the area of sin. Don't miss this, okay? I know we're tired. We'll get home. We'll eat. We'll get to bed and get to work and school tomorrow. But listen, hey, hey, listen. It isn't just avoiding sin that we need humble submission. But my friend, when we commit sin, and we will commit sin because the old nature is still present. So when we commit sin, humble submission to God is necessary for confession of sin acknowledging it and seeking God's forgiveness. Now, notice it, Christian. Hey, young person, get a hold of this from a young age. You want to know Satan's plan for victory in your life? I want to let you in on a little secret. I want you to let you see the mind of Satan when he thinks about you and I. Because sometimes we mess this up. And I think James has been hitting on this from James chapter 1 all the way through here to James chapter 4. Notice this statement. Let's think on it for a moment. I believe this is the truth. The devil's greatest goal is not for you to fall into a hundred different sins and then confess them. Much more than that, he wants for you to have just one sin in your life that goes unconfessed. 
We look around too often and say, well, you know what? I'm not doing that bad. I don't have a hundred sins. I'm not drinking. I'm not smoking. I have no tats. I have this. I don't do 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 this. Praise be to God. But we have some pride there that we've never confessed. We never brought it to the altar of God and put it there, and we've never confessed it. Can I tell you, the devil loves it. We'll look at somebody come in these doors. We'll look at somebody down the streets, and we look at them, and just from the looks of them, just from talking to them for a few moments, we know their life is messed up. There's hundreds of sin in their life. Can I tell you, my friend, the Satan is not going to come and try to get you to fall into hundreds of sin. He'll just try to make you comfortable with the sin you have. Satan's not dumb. He's subtle. So in our pride, it's okay if I have just one sin, if there's just one thing that I haven't turned over to God, if there's just an area of obedience to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. James says that a few verses later. Hey, my friend, we can't fall into this thought that there's just one area of disobedience. There's just a single indulgence of sin. We're doing pretty good. Can I tell you and remind you, we sang it a moment ago, nothing between my Savior and I. Because if just one sin is present and it goes unconfessed, until it is confessed, acknowledged, and forgiven, it breaks fellowship. It breaks communion. It stops the flow of grace. It steals your joy and your power. To live the abundant life that God has called you to live. Just one little sin. And boy, doesn't the devil prey upon our pride with our sin. Man, look at that guy. (laughs) Boy, he should know so and so. And boy, they're a member of our church. And they have umpteen number of sins. My thing, petty. It's not that big of a deal. Nobody knows about it. Oh, Satan knows about it. You know what he's doing? Cartwheels in in hell. He's rejoicing over that. Because you will not humble yourself. You will not submit unto God. And you will not deal with it. And make it right with your God. And what a great truth. This is why he says, hey, be afflicted. Don't, don't, have, don't act like nothing's there. Don't act like you don't have pride and there's sins present. Hey, don't act that way. Go to God for cleansing. Go to him for purifying your hearts. Verses 8 and 9 say it. Go to him. Be afflicted and mourn and, and weep for your sin. Experience heaviness over your sin. I like that statement there. Let your joy to heaviness and your joy, excuse me, to heaviness. Let it change. Because sometimes we think we have all the joys, Christians, and maybe we put on a good facade and a front, but reality is we don't have much joy because sin has stolen it. And in our pride, the devil's fanning the flame, saying, that's ah, not that big of a deal. I don't know about you, but I sure do want grace tomorrow. So I'm going to deal with some sin. I want to take care of it. I don't want this to happen. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27. You know what Paul writes? He says this, Neither give place to the devil. You remember the context? He says, be angry and sin not. Don't don't let anger, sin, control you. Because what happens? You get a foothold to the devil in your life. And that sin is permitted to take up residence. And I'll tell you, anytime the devil has a foothold in your life or in mine, it is a dangerous proposition for any believer. He's gaining ground. You resist that happening by submitting to God. Humbly submitting, drawing near to him. 
You know, can I tell you, and we're done, verse 8, drawing nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. It necessitates acknowledgement of our need for God's grace and help. In the case of sin, our need for his forgiveness. I said it a moment ago, you don't spend time seeking what you don't sense your need for. And so some of us tonight, in humble submission to God, need to say, wait a second, I need forgiveness. I don't want pride. Father, I, there's some times this past week that I let pride get in my way. Lord, I need you to cleanse me. I need you to purify me. And verse 10 is really a summary statement. You and I are called to humbly submit ourselves to God, draw nigh to Him for all we need. He's going to cleanse us and purify us. He's promised to forgive us and to give us the grace that we need to flow into our lives so that we can live the abundant life He's called us to live. That's it. It's a great truth. But you know what I find? That sin that started in heaven in the heart of the devil carried through through the Garden of Eden all the way to the end of Revelation, pride. It's still there today. And God says, I give more grace. I resist the proud, but I give grace to the humble. How about you and I open the windows and doors of heaven so grace can flow by humbly submitting to him tonight? Father, thank you for your word and the truths of it. And Lord, we're grateful for this passage. It has been a tremendous study. Lord, I pray this evening, I, uh, Lord, pray you forgive me for taking a little long. But Lord, I pray that you would help us this evening as your Holy Spirit has put his finger and identified some areas in our life where we need to humbly submit. I, I pray we will do just that. I pray as your Holy Spirit walks up and down these pews and he looks in every heart that pride would not be found there. That someone who's, who knows they have some sin to confess. That Father, someone who has allowed pride to make them stumble and the devil's having a heyday in their life. And Father, I pray they wouldn't look around and say, what will others think when I walk an aisle? What will others think when I kneel here at my pew and pray? But Father, we'll throw pride to the side. We'll kick it to the curb. And Lord, we'll, we'll make sure that you know that we are humbly submitting to you. And this week, Father, give us the grace to live that out. Day in and day out. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I ask you to join me in standing all around the auditorium. The piano begins to play. As God has spoken, I would challenge you to respond. Certainly there at your pew, make you walk in an aisle, come into an old-fashioned altar and saying, All right, Father. In pride, I, I, I've stumbled. In pride, I've I, I messed up some things. And I know there's just not some grace that ought to be there. So, Lord, here it is. I'm throwing pride on the altar. How about it, friend? Hey, Christian, maybe there is a sin you've been hanging on to. Devil's convinced you. It's just one little thing. It's just a small thing. It's not that big of a deal. And yet the Holy Spirit's knocking tonight. Take care of it. Give it to me. Acknowledge, confess, and I'll forgive it. And grace will flow once again. How about a Christian? As God has spoken, let's do business with Him. 